caregiving family and welcome to caregiving is a ministry where we look at the word of God through the lens of caregiving today we're going to embark upon the third phase of our shepherding journey and we're going to look at a very special person that God used in the New Testament to show us what shepherding looks like And of course, we've already looked at Jesus, so I'm wondering if you can guess who we're going to look at now. So here is the scripture. We're looking at the book of Acts, chapter 8, starting off with verses 1 through 3. And the New American Standard Bible reads, And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Some devout men buried, buried, I'm from Texas, buried, (laughs) buried Stephen, and mourned loudly for him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and he would drag away men and women and put them in prison. Now we're going to chapter 9 of Acts, verses 1 through 19. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that so that if he found any any belonging to the way, which is what the early church was known as the way, they weren't known as Christians yet, whether men or women, he might bring them in shackles to Jerusalem. Now as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate or drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. Ananias, And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias? And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I had heard from many people about this man, how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer in my behalf for my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, 
Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like fish scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. So, who are we getting ready to look at now? We're going to look at the Apostle Paul who wrote over, what, two-thirds of the New Testament? Or maybe one-third, but all by himself. He wrote a lot, I'll say that. Um, we're going to look at Paul and how God used Paul to shepherd the early church. He was probably what um, we would call today a church planner as well as a missionary. But he was a church planner, I believe, too. So let's look at his, what we've just read really is his, um, a little bit of his biography, right? We see that at the beginning, he was very much against people of the way, the early church. He thought what they were saying about Jesus Christ was blasphemy. So from that, we can tell that he was zealous for the law, for the law. He was a Pharisee. So he knew the law. He was a starch defender of the law. And we know from reading the New Testament, correct, that um, the Pharisees did not like Jesus because Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. They didn't like that. And so here we have Saul, zealous for the law, a Pharisee, and well-connected. We see that he went straight to the high priest to ask for the letter so that he could go and bring our fellow brothers and sisters back in chains so that he could probably do what they did to Stephen, stone them, ostracize them, punish them in some kind of way. The sad thing is, is that he really believed that he was defending the law, the Lord, through the law and tradition. And so I want us to put a pin there right quick and just think about our church practices and the things that we um do in our individual congregations and denominations are they the word is it scripture what we do or have we gotten accustomed to doing things that are just traditional and I'm not saying that traditional is bad but I think it behooves us to know the difference between the two what is scriptural and what is just church practices that have become tradition to know the difference so that you can understand why you do the things that you do both scripturally as well as church practices that are more on the lines of tradition. Paul essentially was a headhunter of the early Christians, trying to find those brothers and sisters to, and it's interesting because they didn't talk about trying to convert them back, it was just we're going to persecute them, to bring them back in shackles. It was like they were criminals. And so, you know, he was at Stephen's death. And at the beginning of chapter 8, um, we see that he's collecting things. He collected, um, it says that he, he, he collected the garments, the end of chapter 7, where Stephen is actually stoned. But at the beginning of chapter 8, where I first read, we see that he's going from house to house. So in my humble opinion, um, 
Stephen's death wasn't the only death that he participated in, and I'm using air quotes for participate, maybe that he witnessed and that he um, ensured that the, the people who were put to death were put to death. It wasn't just Stephen, there were others because the scripture says that he was going from house to house. So going back to our first um, characteristic of him, he was very zealous. He, he thought he was doing the right thing. And he was on his way to Damascus to capture more people, right? Until God had other plans. And so he had an encounter with God. And it's interesting because when the voice spoke, he said, who are you, Lord? And the question almost makes you think that he didn't know that it was Jesus Christ. And he probably didn't because if you read history in that time frame, they referred to Lord as anyone who it was a way of showing respect, just like we say, yes, ma'am. And um, no, sir, to call someone Lord is a humbling um, phrase that they use in order to show respect and to bow down. And so he was knocked off his horse. And so he said, who are you, Lord? It's like, I'm not recognizing who is this. And then Jesus answers him and says, I am Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? The very person that you're saying does not exist now is in front of you, so to speak. You're having a conversation with them. I mean, <laughs> what happens? You're just like, okay, I think I've, I've made a mistake. What, what, what would you do? I, I, I think it's interesting how when you read the text, it also says that the men who were with Saul, so there were others who were going to assist him in bringing people of the way to justice. They heard the voice too. It doesn't say whether they were converted or believers or not, but just I just want to paint the picture of the scene here. They're trotting around. You hear a voice from heaven. The main person gets knocked to the ground, and then you hear the voice says, I am Jesus who you're persecuting. The magnitude of that. But notice after Jesus um, acknowledges who he is, then he gives him instruction. And Paul complies. And the men comply because now Paul couldn't see. I'm just for me, I'm wondering what was going through their minds. I mean, I wonder, did they think Jesus was going to be, um, show retaliatory type um, aspects and get them back for what they had been doing for persecuting him? And so now it was payback time. So perhaps there was a little bit of fear in them as they went to the place where um, the Lord had told them to go. But make no mistake about it. They probably, they, they probably were a little fearful. And so Paul goes to the place as instructed, and then he's waiting there for three days, it says. During those three days, that was time, I believe, that he and the Lord really began to get close. And Jesus started speaking to him and telling him who he was. And the ramification of all that he had been doing kind of weighed down on him 
almost as if um, not a testing period, but just this is what I thought was right. And now I recognize that I was wrong. And that weight of going, of, of just being in the wrong. Almost like with Peter, right? When he denied Jesus three times. The weight of that, when you recognize I did something that I shouldn't done, have done. The guilt, right? The condemnation that you may get from outsiders. But then the peace of God lets you know that there is no condemnation. And so I think those three days, some of that probably was going on with Paul as well. I find it interesting that Ananias, um, when the Lord tells him, okay, I need you to go over there to Saul and um, open his eyes. And he's like, oh, wait a minute, Jesus. That's the man who was killing us. (laughs) Wouldn't you kind of question it just like he did? Make sure that you're hearing from God. But God reassured him and he was obedient. And so he went. And so I think we get the lessons of being obedient when you're a little bit unsure as to hmm, God may be sending me into the lion's den, literally, but trusting God anyway and doing what God has asked you to do. So after Ananias goes and lays his hands on him, Paul um, regains his sight. But also Paul has, um, I think I've been told, because I'm in seminary now, as I told you, and my New Testament um, professor, we're studying Paul now, stated that there were two years, I think, anywhere from one to to three years, I don't have my notes in front of me, that Paul spent in prayer and in learning. And I think that's significant because we kind of think that, okay, his um, scales fell off off of his eyes and he immediately went into ministry. But I'm learning through seminary that he even took time to prepare. So that can be a lesson for us as well. We need to prepare for the next steps in our lives. Even when God calls you, he's going to equip you. And it may be beneficial for you to get formal education or maybe to sit beside someone who can mentor you along the way. But, uh, you know, unless God calls you to be the trailblazer, to be the first, take some time to study, to reflect, to to grow into what God is asking you to do. And so Paul then comes out full of the Holy Spirit, right? He was baptized and he received the Holy Spirit, but now he's getting ready to walk into his quote-unquote ministry, his vocation of planting churches, his vocation of being a missionary and witnesses, witnessing to the Gentiles. God specifically called him to the Gentiles. But if you look, Paul's behavior didn't necessarily change because just as he was zealous for the law and the tradition, now he was zealous for Jesus. And that's what we're going to look out, look at as he was shepherd of the church that he planted. That zeal for him that was within him for for others to recognize who Jesus Christ was, never left. And so when God asks us to do things, he, he knows how he created us and our personalities and our proclivities 
and things of that sort. Now, we are never perfect. And if you have anger issues, God didn't create you to be angry. (laughs) And so you may have to work on that. But God is going to use us where we are. So if you're a happy-go-lucky person, you should be a happy-go-lucky person in whatever it is that you do. If you tend to be a little more serious in nature, you're going to be serious in nature no matter what it is that you do. I think from this scripture, we can learn that God can use anyone, someone who started out one way as a staunch enemy of the way, turns around and becomes like one of the key players in the New Testament outside of Jesus. For me in the New Testament is Jesus and it's Paul and then there's Peter. Yeah, I know there are other characters in the New Testament, but those are the three. And so if you're in a rut today, if you're thinking that things can't change, if you're wondering what direction you're going in, all you have to do is just ask the Lord. My one prayer that I have for the Lord is that he doesn't have to have a Damascus moment with me where he has to knock me off of my horse because I'm going in the wrong direction. And I pray that for you as well. And so just kind of sit back today and figure out where you are in life. If you're heading in the direction that you know God is placed before you, or perhaps if you've gotten off track a little bit. And if you have, just go to God and say, could you give me, could you give me the coordinates again of where it is that you want me to go? <laughs> and he'll do that for you. My dear caregivers, I want you to know that caregiving is not a Damascus moment. That this season isn't meant to be that earth-shattering voice from heaven you know, changing everything up in your life. That's not how he wants you to look at caregiving. He wants you to look at caregiving as an opportunity for you to demonstrate your love for him and your trust in him by taking care of the person that he has placed before you. And so with Paul, he did it with all zeal to love Christ and to tell others about Christ. And so today as caregivers, We are to care give for the people that God has placed us um, to care for with zeal, with reverence for him, with love for him, so that they can see him through us. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for showing us in your word that you can use anyone even someone who who was doing the exact opposite of what you may have wanted them to do, at least at that time, someone who was so adamantly opposed to you that once you revealed who you were to them, became one of your staunchest supporters. Help us, Father, to to not go against you, to get so caught up in rules and regulations and in traditions of our particular denominations that we lose who you are. And who you are is good and loving. Help us to not think that there is any punishment or dissatisfaction with us 
during this caregiving season, but know that it is one of the highest callings is to care for another human being. Help us to always know that you love us. Help us to always recognize that you are never far away from us. And help us to never forget that we are yours and that you have equipped us for this season. Bless everyone who's listening to this podcast. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, my podcast family. So tomorrow, we start looking at the various churches that Paul shepherded, and we'll look at the different techniques that he used in shepherding them. Take care and go and minister the act of caregiving in the name of Jesus. Bye.